the Filmmakers Podcast exists thanks to your support. If you'd like to ensure that we can keep on exploring the filmmaking world with you, subscribe to our Patreon. It's the Podfix Network! Hello and welcome to episode 283 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This, as you know, is a podcast where we talk about filmmaking, from indie film to studio films to TV, everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and a producer, and the films I've produced are Followers, uh, Repeat, and A Serial Killer's Guide to Life. All are available now on various platforms. Do seek them out, do support if you can. Uh, and also I'm the producer of Three Day Millionaire, which I have told you now for the past couple of weeks, we are so close to actually finishing the movie proper. Uh, we're heading up to Glasgow in the next week or so. Myself, the wonderful director Jack Spring, and uh, the cinematographer Andrew Roger to check out the grade and the VFX at Arteus in Glasgow. We're super excited by that. Uh, news on that very soon. Today on the show we have the rather wonderful Italian actress and director Livia De Paulis. She wrote, directed and starred in the film Lost Girls, which is out now. Uh, the film is inspired by the famous J.M. Barry classic Peter Pan and is based on the novel by writer Laurie Fox. It's a really cool movie and Liv has done incredibly well to get this made. It stars Jolie Richardson, Vanessa Redgrave, Julian Ovenden, Louis Partridge and Ian Glenn of Game of Thrones fame. He's playing Captain Hook or just Hook in this version. It's a reimagination of this classic tale. It's told through the modern day eye and it is a touching touching film. Uh, Livia previously directed the film Emoticon, starring Carol Kane, uh, who's in the TV series Hunters, and Christine Abersole, who's in Licorice Pizza. Myself and fellow host Lucinda Rhodes Takra sat down with Livia and had a lovely chat. She talked about how producing can be lonely. She talked about producing and directing and acting at the same time. She told us how Lost Girls came about and the star-studded cast she got. She also told us how two huge stars were attached for such a long period of time. How her wonderful producer Kirk at Myriad Pictures believed in the project so much and really championed to get this film made. She talks about making her first feature film, Emoticon, and why she made a short film after she'd made that feature. She also talks about the breakdown she had after she finished filming. This is no surprise. All us filmmakers who have made a feature, we understand that. We all want to have a breakdown, let alone on set, but also afterwards, and we don't talk about it enough. We do talk about it on this week's uh, Filmmakers Podcast episode. She also discusses why you should stay in your lane, how it was adapting a novel, casting, and how she got the money for this feature film. All of that is to come on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. I would like to let you know that we are collaborating very soon with Q Scripts. Q Scripts is launching uh, next week 
And it is a new service that offers script analysis and professional reports on shorts, features, TV scripts, and they work with emerging talent aiming to break into the industry as well as established writers looking to take their scripts to the next level. I will be diving deep so much more into Q scripts over the next few weeks because, like I say, we're collaborating with them to help you get your films over the line. More on that coming up. And for those of you in London or want to travel to London, because this Friday, the 1st of July, I will be speaking at Scary Success. Uh, it's a one night only horror filmmaking gathering and panel where horror filmmakers share their experience uh, and how they brought their horror films to the screen. Also on that panel will be Alex Austin, who at the moment is crowdfunding on Greenlit for her latest film, Kill Your Lover. I've already pledged, she's already raised 14,000 pounds for this. Do go support if you can. It's worth checking it out just for the video. It's very good. It's very well made. Go check it out. And if you've got some money, chuck it in. If nothing else, retweet her latest tweet. So join myself, Alex, and a host of other people oh, this Friday uh, for the Scary Success panel, 7pm at the Hen and Chickens in London, in Islington, London. It is run in association with Greenlit and Kino London. Link to that is in the show notes. And we're going to be recording it for the Filmmakers Podcast. So do come on down, do ask questions, and then when the podcast goes live in a month or so, you will be able to hear your question on the Filmmakers Podcast. Speaking of questions, if you have anything you want us to answer, I will be doing more of the TFP Presents, where myself and the fellow hosts do discuss certain topics We've done it a couple of times before, but we're really going to be going into it deep. So any questions you have, get in touch at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter, at The Filmmakers Podcast on Instagram, or you can email us, thefilmmakerspodcast at gmail.com. Do reach out. That's what we're here for. Always looking to help. And thank you all so much for listening to last week's episode with Tom Palmer, the producer of All My Friends Hate Me. What an episode that was. He really goes deep. He really talks about the pitfalls of indie filmmaking. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that after you've listened to this. All My Friends Hate Me is playing all this week at the Castle Cinema in London. Do go check it out. It's definitely worth your time. So today I recorded an episode of the Filmmakers Podcast with the fantastic legends Stephen Burkoff and Julian Glover uh, for Matt Hucking's latest film, Prizefighter, the story of Jem Belger, which Matt is the writer of, producer of and he stars in it uh, that podcast will be coming out very soon but if you don't know Stephen Burkoff and Julian Glover have worked with some absolutely incredible directors including George Lucas Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick just to name a few they've both played baddies in James Bond movies in separate movies uh, which they both found out while they were chatting to each other <laughs> on the podcast and uh, it was the first time they met in 50 years. I also believe it's the first time Stephen Burkoff has ever done a podcast. So there we go. We also filmed it. So let's see if we put that out soon <laughs> for you. But check out that. Next week, we will have on Natalie Bian Carey, the director of Wolf, uh, starring George McKay. And the following week, or very soon after, we'll be having Dan Mervish on. Dan Mervish is amazing. We sit down to talk about all about his brilliant film, 18 and a Half. So that's our episodes coming up. So why don't we get to today's episode with myself, Lucinda Rose Takra, and our wonderful guest, Livia 
the palace. Enjoy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you. It's so weird how one film kind of leads to another and you just get better at delivering it better at everything. You learn every time. You learn exponentially, I think. Yes. There's nothing by production. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And and that's what's fascinating. That's what Melissa wanted to talk to you about as well, is the fact that you wore so many hats making this film. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that, I mean, that's huge. That's incredible, right? I mean, did you always set out to direct, produce, star, you know, write pretty much? Yeah. So it was my, this is my second feature. Yes. So I've done the same thing in my first feature. I also did the short film that, mm -hmm. I mean, the short film I literally produced, like did everything. And obviously in the first feature, And in the second feature, you know, obviously I had producer that I worked with. But as you know, as a filmmaker, you, I mean, if it's your material, if you're not hired or attached mm -hmm. to a project, uh, you're the one that's like making it happen at the end of the day. Yep. <laughs> you know? I think that's something that filmmakers, certainly when they're starting out, expect other people to do it. And it's kind of like when you make a short And maybe you felt the same way and it'd be lovely to know what you think. But when you make that short and you do everything yourself, you're literally hiring the kit, hiring as many friends as you can to do it. And then at the end, you're cleaning up, you're wrapping up the cables, delivering back to the production houses, you're doing all the edit, all the post, you're doing everything and you're delivering it and putting it on YouTube and putting it in festivals. It's the same in a feature. And, I, and it's this weird thing that people think someone else will do it. <laughs> <laughs> and the reality is, who is this person, this magical person? And why should they jump on your film, you know? And and the thing is, um, you know, as you know, there is no money until there is the money. And to get to the point <laughs> where the money is there, like yeah. there's so much work to do. Yes. And like, why would anyone do that work for mm -hmm. you? Yeah. On the hope that it might succeed. That it might happen or not. Totally. These are established producers. They've been through the trenches and the depth and the hard work for how many years, you know? And they're not just suddenly going to jump on everyone's projects and go, yeah, of course, I'll spend all my free time working on your project. And it takes a while to learn that, I think. People just go, well, why not? My project's the best. It's amazing and making billions of pounds for anyone who joins it. And it's... Yeah, it's fascinating. You, you've got to guide the ship. Don't expect anyone else to do it for you. And I think with that mindset, things do push forward. I feel lonely at times because sometimes being it's somebody you can't bounce off, you're all on your own driving this ship. And I imagine you have ups and downs doing that. Well, yeah. And also, you know, you're in, sometimes you're in that phase where like you're saying you're making this movie and nobody <laughs> Many, many times. Yeah, exactly. And people are just like, oh yeah, whatever. She's been saying this for a few years. <laughs> like, what? I'm like, no, no, I'm working on this film. Like mm -hmm. I really am. You know, I have a little niece. She's 10 years old in Italy. She's the daughter of my sister. And she asked me recently, Auntie Livia, what is it that you actually do <laughs> oh they everybody says of all ages it's not just 10 year olds <laughs> yeah exactly everyone asks you so what is it you actually what does a producer actually do and you're like well i often describe it and this is my go-to at the moment it's like you're organizing a wedding 
for someone you don't know every day uh, and the brides run away the um the groomsman's on fire <laughs> and um what's the the mother of the mother of the bride hates everyone yeah it's that kind of thing and every day you've got to come a new problem a new thing to uh, to come across that's basically producing a feature film it's problem solving right yes i think yeah. i think it's really just problem solving but i did have so i have a a woman friend really in Los Angeles. She works primarily as a assistant director, like on big TV series, uh, but she has been a consulting producer on my first feature, on my short, on my uh on my second feature. She's, you know, she's been, she's, you know, the one that, you know, she doesn't have the capacity to just drop everything and 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 become like the producer, right? But she's the one that, you know, reads a script and, you know, we can bounce ideas. She's been very helpful, you know, like kind of mentoring friend friend slash mentor and then eventually my producer came on board peter tush and he's really like a finance guy he's like a closeted creative (laughs) that works in finance so when you find certain projects that he likes and that he sees that the creative on the other side, either the producer, the director, the person that gets in touch with him um, is very, you know, like wants the help and is open. Then luckily he's the one that reads the script and then sends you very detailed notes and he watches all the cuts of the films. Like he likes to be very involved, even though he really doesn't have to because he has a full-time job as a film financier. But, you know, I guess he would prefer to do something else to bless us. Livia, obviously uh, the driving force is the uh, lead producer on the project. And then putting that producer hat down and directing the movie. How do you, how do you switch off one part of the brain and focus all of the creatives are directing. Yeah. Well, at some point you just kind of have to, like it doesn't even, like at some point, so at some point then with the Lost Girls, Sam Tipperhell came on board. So then, you know, I didn't do, you know, all the paperwork. I just kind of, like I didn't go into like all that kind of, and together, we you know figure out location like the practical stuff as a director you're still very much involved I mean there's no way around it you're gonna have to do it yourself again and like even just you know hiring all the heads of departments like you just I mean I think that's like the job of the director I don't know I mean in, in, in independent filmmaking I you know it's collaborative but obviously you're gonna Nobody knows better than you what is it that you're trying to achieve, right? Yeah, so true. Getting those two hats is really difficult to, because when you're producing, you're, you know, like say, you're controlling that whole, and to jump out of that to direct for me would be very difficult. I wouldn't, that's why I'd be like, I, I like you've probably done as well, Liv, is just at that point go, okay, well, I can't produce now because I'm directing. You yeah. sort today's and tomorrow's and just let me know if there's an issue uh, and hope and give me some options of what's the best one to go with rather than going, yeah. we've got an issue and you're in the middle of directing something is no good for anyone. That's not possible. It's not <laughs> possible. It's the worst. We've got an issue and you're like, what do you want me to do? I'm literally about to say action on this scene. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. So people have to be very wary of that. And in, in every department, uh, when speaking to a director but yeah i think doing the two i think is really difficult well and i guess you know i could have said oh i'm taking uh you know only like an executive producer's credit instead mm-hmm. of a full producer's credit but the truth is i have worked on this film for so long, so long and right? i'm continuing yeah. to work because at the end as you said when you're like oh with a short film at the end you're the one that's wrapping and you 
I mean, I'm still like sorting out things in the basement that are like props from the film mm -hmm. that I shot a year ago. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's not that I walked on set and I directed the actors and then, you know, I talked to the, <laughs> to the editor and everything was taken care of. So I feel like I deserve it. Yeah, <laughs> so, you totally. know, we discussed it and I'm like, no, I'm taking the credit. That doesn't mean that during the shoot, I was, you know, I was, I was not really dealing with any practical things that do not pertain like creative choices uh, and ways to make them happen during the shoot. I'm really you said that line, Livia, about I deserved it. You know, you know, you worked hard. <laughs> and I'm really pleased that, that you said that and loud and proud about because people don't always say it. They go, well, you know, I, I'm not, they, everyone's aware of not having I don't know if ego is the right word. You you clearly do not, but you you know your worth, your value, and that's that's awesome. And as a director, just keeping on the the director road, how did you choose your cast? What made you go for the cast? It's, it's a wonderful cast, by the way. It really lovely. Very very lucky, very lucky. So for the cast, um, well, we worked with Gemma Sykes, who is fabulous. She was Dan Hubbard's uh, assistant for a long time, Gemma Sykes. So she's been around in the UK for, uh, yeah, uh, many years. And she's she's actually now a huge casting actor in her own right. Everyone, she worked for the Hubbards for a long time, didn't she? So yeah, she's, uh, she's super. Yeah, Gemma Sykes is she, one of the best. She's a gem and she is, and she came through the producer, Sam Tipper Hill. Uh, and I did speak with a number of casting directors as well <laughs> 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 I interviewed well you should as well it's the same as employing uh, um, you know makeup or costume you should it's people often just go for the first casting director and that happens a lot and actually it's it's you know we don't talk about that enough actually that role of casting director and we don't often like audition is the wrong word but speak to casting directors about what they could bring to this specific project we're just so grateful to get one on for the budget range we're in sometimes yes. but Actually, we should. My case was a little tricky because it was a little uh, a strange situation because I had cast attached. Like I had Emma Thompson attached and Ellen wow. Burstyn. And so that kind of greenlit the film and then Amazing. everything fell apart. But the movie was actually greenlit at that point. Oh my gosh. Wait, well, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. So then we had a budget to hire a casting director. Did you, did you see, like it was, a, it was a, I mean, I don't want to say a fortuitous occurrence, even though in the end, I'm very glad the way things worked out. But, uh, but that's how it worked out. Like the movie was officially greenlit. We were supposed to shoot in March and then the pandemic happened and everything fell apart. And yet uh, the, the, money, the money had been allocated to the making of the Lost Girls. So. <laughs> yeah, that was lucky that you had yeah, the finance in place and didn't lose the finance as well as... Well, it was, it was like borderline, right? It was borderline. So they were like, okay, we need to replace Emma Thompson. How do you mm -hmm. go about that? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. so, so that was, you know, that was the, the challenge. And we thought of, and it was collaborative because we had a number of names and Sam, the producer, uh, was, you know, he was like, what do you think of Jolie? You know, like it, it was, it was collaborative there. And we went to Jolie and she accepted the part. Amazing. And then we also had to replace Ellen because with COVID, she couldn't mm -hmm. travel. We couldn't travel. There was no way to do it. So then we thought, okay, what about Vanessa? That, that was kind of like an obvious 
<laughs> so that's Julia Richardson and Vanessa Redgrave as well, by the way. I love this. Yeah, it's so true and great. But, but, you know, it was a little tricky because, you know, I asked Julie if that was okay with her because you never know, like with this family relationship, you know, like, I mean, we went through through, through Vanessa's agent. I didn't, I didn't want to, I, I just, you know, wanted to make sure that Jolie was comfortable with Vanessa being in the same movie, basically. Uh, and she was okay with that. <laughs> and she was fine. So she gave, she gave the okay. And then we went to, you know, Vanessa's agent and uh, I met with Vanessa mm-hmm. and uh, it worked out. <laughs> and, and during this time, your, your investors, because obviously your investor team, you've been greenlit with Emma Thompson, Ellen Bernstein. So to suddenly have that moment where, oh, the rug's pulled a little bit, COVID, totally understandable. How were your investors with that? Did they have a specific... Obviously, you would have to come back with a level of actor that is up there with them. That's not easy. I have to say, so when that happened, I first thought that uh, the movie was just going to collapse and that was the end of it, right? (laughs) And I was sort of like walking down the street in London, like sort of like in a surreal stage where I was like, I've been working for four years to come to this point and I can't believe this. You know, like I was just like in this belief. Um, And then I spoke with a sales agent in Los Angeles who has been uh, Kirk D'Amico, who's really been also sort of, uh, you know, sort of one of the producers. He's got an executive producer's credit, but he's really been like supporting this project from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. He's like the first element that came into place was the sales agent, really. And that was Myriad, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Kirk kind of saved the film, I have to say, because he was like super, because he's, he's been in the industry a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, Livia, I'm so sorry. This type of things happen all the time. We're just going to find another, another actress that's going to work out. Don't Amazing. worry. I'll talk to the financiers. <laughs> he was just like, <laughs> he didn't let it go. He didn't let it go, basically. Uh, and that's how we were able to do it. Oh, congratulations. Let's, let's jump back a bit because that whole process of you getting there, that four years of you building up to that moment, casting these incredible actors and then for that to fall down, obviously the heartbreak is huge and fair play for Myriad and Kirk there to go, no, no, don't worry about it and putting you back in that place because I imagine what you felt you know, I've, I've been in a similar position and it took 10 years and suddenly you're in that position where you think it's all going to fall down and it's the worst. So let's just jump back a bit. You'd made you'd made your short film uh, and then you made Emoticon. Let's talk about how that happened, how you got that film made. And then we'll jump into how we got Lost Girls from there. That'd be really interesting. Yes. So the truth is I actually made Emoticon before I made the short film. So I made my first feature film before I made the short film. Wow. Holy <laughs> yeah. shit. Talk us through that. That must have been mind-blowing, all sorts of crazy, wonderful things. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I think that because my, my family was in the industry when I was growing up, they, not in the creative field, but they had a studio structure that then eventually ran out of business. But when I was little, it was a business. And so So I grew up kind of being aware that to make a movie, you need a director of photography and an editor and there's a set and there is a set designer and there are costumes and there's makeup and there's actors and, you know, like a a really clear idea, uh, even of certain technical aspects that people that don't decide to do the research maybe don't even know. Right. And so I was in a, I was like, 
very much immersed in a theater in New York. I was working in the theater in New York all the time and I kind of got a little burned out. But a friend of mine that was working in the theater with me suggested we write something. And I, together, that was like, and I said, oh, would you like to write a short? Or would you like to write a feature? She was the crazy one. She's like, no, no, I just write a feature. And so then once we wrote this first feature, I decided that I wanted to do it and I wanted to produce it. And I did not want to direct the film. I had no directing ambition. <laughs> At the time. <laughs> At the time, I had no directing ambition. Yes. And, um, you know, I never really thought about me being a director. Uh, and there's a longer conversation that can be had on that. But mm -hmm. in any case, at the time, I was. And then, but I was convinced, this was 2010, but I was already convinced that I wanted the, the script to be directed by a woman. And okay. of course, I had no money. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no, like, I knew a lot of people in the theater, which is you know, quite a tight community. I expect for London to be a similar scenario, but I didn't know anybody in the, you know, in the film industry in the US. I was introduced by this woman, uh, to this woman, Meta Valentic, which is, has been, the, the woman that I mentioned before has become like sort of, uh, you know, consulting producer on all my project. And she kind of advised me and guided me on this and that. But ultimately, the women that, the young women that I was, you know, able to, get a hold of <laughs> to direct this film. You know, they had done like one feet, one short film just out of film school. And, you know, I felt, and also they had a, you know, they really wanted to change the story. They had a very strong, you know, they had a very strong vision and which was kind of clashing with what I had written <laughs> and what I wanted to do. And so in the end, a friend of mine, who's also, he was an actor as well who has become a filmmaker and uh, he also writes Red Snacks. He said, I have done it myself, Tom O'Brien. He said, look, he had just done his first feature and he said, look, Clivia, I, I've done it. I think you can do it too. I mean, it's a, just a lot of work, but you know, you can do it. And so that's when I decided to direct myself. So all of a sudden, okay, there is a, a script and there is a director and there mm -hmm. is a producer, which is me. Uh, <laughs> all of those were you. <laughs> and there's a star, it's you. Yep. Yeah, there's a star, it's just me. Um, and then, uh, no, in that case, the key factor was the casting director, which was somebody that I had worked with in the theatre. And they had been crucial in the making of this movie, um, Another Earth. Oh, yeah. Brit Marlin movie. Such yes. a great movie. Yeah. So James Caleri had helped her making that. So he helped me making mine, <laughs> making emoticon. And so we got some cars. And then, I mean, it was micro budget. So like friends and family money. Was it friends and family money? Right. Okay. Did you set out a budget? Did you say, okay, the budget will be ish this? How did you work that? How did you know how much it would be? Or was it kind of a guessing game? Talk us it through that. It was a total guessing game. And at the end of the, at the end of the shooting. All the invoices came in. It was horrible. <laughs> it was just horrible. Love that. It's just the whole thing. I love it too. It's like, just go for it, right? It was horrible. At the end of the... And I had I did not have a good time making the film, I have to say. It was oh, really? horrible. Why? Because it was just too much. I mean, there wasn't like, you know, there wasn't like a real producer. There was... It was a mess. It was just a complete mess. It was oh, a I mess see. every day. It was like, mm. tomorrow we can't shoot. Okay, well, let's shoot the next day. I mean... <laughs> oh, I see. It was yes. a real... Like a real... It's a miracle that that movie came out 
like a real movie and it got distributed theatrically in New York and LA. And, you know, it was a, a complete miracle. Like at the end of the shoot, I had a, I actually had a breakdown. I remember like sitting in this like studio apartment in Los Angeles. I just moved to Los Angeles and I'm, I'm sitting there with this drives <laughs> with the drives that I'm like crying, like really had like a meltdown. I'm thinking, what have I done? I don't even know what to do with this. Maybe I just burn all this money. Like I just mm -hmm. had a moment of like, Oh my God, what's, what's happening? Am I completely like, am I crazy? Right. Am I a crazy person? Have I done something terrible? <laughs> But that feeling, right. I think, We all have it, even when it's totally organized and totally done to the... We get to the end of shoots, don't we, Lisa? And I'm sure, Liv, you did at the end of The Lost Girls as well, where you you can't help, doesn't matter how well it's gone or not, but you can't help but go, oh my God, it, what just happened? True, true, true. With The Lost Girls, I have to say that at the end of it, mm -hmm. I had to... I continue to have obsessive thoughts about, mm. I don't know, the curtains or like, like the little detail, like things, right? The things that, you know, like... You mean like dreams or actual, you were worried about like them? Like first thing in, in the morning, you wake up and you think, oh, the curtains in that scene, I don't like the color of them. What can I do? Oh, like, I mean, just mm. like obsessive thoughts of mm. like that it is normal yeah it, it is normal <laughs> i think everyone who's been on the pod has said pretty much when they finished the film i mean i remember after my first one i was having nightmares for two months afterwards waking up you know screaming so was i working with you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the second one but <laughs> it's so true and you get in that 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 headspace so it's totally understandable you were there because That's but until you get into the edit room and you go, oh, actually, it's not too bad. Well, even then you still think, oh, God, I could have changed that. I could have done that. It's, this is the creatives in us and the creative in you that didn't just accept, go, oh, well, it's fine what we shot. It's to go, no, I could have done, could have done that. And why didn't I put the camera there, or the light there? That's a good thing. A director said to me the other day, a Canadian director I'm working with, uh, he said, let's do five for them, one for ourselves. So there's always a movie that you're so attached to and you do get obsessed about I mean, I did a movie during lockdown called Code of Silence, and I remember the uh, DP was arguing with the director about the color of the tone of beige on the wall in the grate. <laughs> and this went mm. weeks. I was on the phone seeing these emails go back and forth and back and forth, and I was like, "Guys, it's beige!" <laughs> like this is crazy. Yeah, they were so attached, and, it, and it's beautiful to see that and, and the honesty that you've you've spoken about. You know, everything, the process that you've gone through is brilliant. Because there are movies that sometimes you do because I don't know they're commercial or, but there's the ones that you really care about and it sounds like you really put a lot of your heart and soul into the lost girls amazing yeah I don't know you know I just try to do my my best you know I was just trying to like every morning I'll be like I'll go to set thinking I'm just gonna do my very I'm just gonna give it my very best shot yeah. I'm yes. just gonna do my very best work in every you know, in every, like in every capacity, right? Like just, that's all you can do. Right. That, it, that's, uh, and I think every filmmaker like beats themselves up about the curtains or about whatever it is, is we did the best we could. That is it. Whatever crap reviews or horrible people decide to be idiots online or the lovely reviews, it doesn't matter. You've doesn't still got, to, you've got to go, do you know what? I did the best I could and I will improve. I will get better. And I'm looking forward to the next one. And if you're not, then you don't want to do it anymore. If you're not obsessed and you If you're not going, I can do better. Or I want, then yeah, maybe it's not for you, you know, because it's 
tough what we do. It's really hard. What I said is I do not want to do it again with no money, just asking for favors, not really knowing what I'm doing, except getting through day to day. Yeah, I have done that. So now it's already different. I was very, very, very lucky in uh, my first feature because I had a director of photography named Alex Dissenhoff, who shortly after doing that became a star i think he did like the lord of the rings now like the tv lord of the rings or something wow. uh yeah i know he's very 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 talented and very serious and very passionate he was really young but like he really had like it was me and the camera department mm-hmm. making the film which in a way it's wonderful right because you're really just you're in it you know it was a very 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 small crew (laughs) but uh, and i really felt it was like i was making this film with with the camera department that was like and not to diminish anybody else that was working of course everybody was super junior everybody was like at their first job or like looking for an opportunity to to, to make a movie it was crazy it was really he probably was the most experienced because he had done a couple of very low budget features. Uh, so, so yeah, that was, uh, that was great. And at the end of that film, I actually did offer him a co-director's credit because I oh, felt no. wow. that his contribution was that, that big. And he said, I don't want it because I want to be a director of photography and I might lose jobs if directors see that mm. I have a director credit in my resume, because then they think I want to direct and then they won't hire me. And I have no ambition to direct ever. I really want to do. <laughs> That's so nice of you to offer that, by the way. That is really lovely. A lot of people hold on to stuff like that. And that is really nice. I know Danny Boyle did it on um, one of my favorite films, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Is he gave co-director credit as well because she was so good with the kids um and that is so lovely to do is you know that takes someone who hasn't got a huge ego to do that you know it's it's very difficult i, I heard this the other day uh lane. so he wanted to stay in, in his lane that's that's what he wants to do he didn't want to muddy the water um just talking talk about budget again obviously you were saying no money it was awful i had a breakdown i wanted to throw the drives out the window no, burn the money. Whatever. <laughs> With a bigger budget, it still becomes, it still has has its problems. So, you had no money on the first one. You had, I don't know what the budget level was on the Lost Girls, but a regular low budget, let's say, a normal low budget. A normal low budget. Enough yes, yes. money to make a movie. Just, mm-hmm. it's never enough. I mean, never. then there's this thing, right? Where it's like, it's never enough. It's never enough, which is really, I mean, I, I it's horrible. To think because I think now after this experience, really talking strictly about money, after mm-hmm. this experience, I think that you can make, you know, low, low budget film, but they have to be written to be low budget, you know? Like, it's just, you know, yes, you can make things for less money than what you actually would really need. But... Mm, Mm. yeah it's really hard it's it's hard and you just get disappointed you you, we already kind of do that anyway we set our expectations so high when we're making a film and it's almost every day that just gets chipped away until you go okay it's two people in a room you know uh, and that that's really (laughs) depressing as a as a you know creative but that's part of that indie film process is how can we do it and that was the talking can all the time was cool do it lower cool do it for a low budget and it's depressing it's it's annoying but 
that is, you know, they've got to sell. So you've got to think about the bigger picture of how you're going to sell these films. And what's great is, you know, with The Lost Girls is you do have names. And I mean, these are names, you know, Jolie Richardson, Vanessa Redgrave, they're huge, huge names uh, and, and big in the industry, which helps. It makes such a difference, like you say, getting the green light and then selling the movie and having people see it, which is huge, which, uh, which brings us on nicely to The Lost Girls. How did you go from Emoticon then to say, hey, I want to make this Lost Girls film? Um, obviously, it's J.M. Barry's original Peter Pan story, but you've written this. It's, it's a rewrite with your co-writer. Talk us through here where this idea came from, why you wanted to do it. And like you say, it said it took you four years to that point where it all fell apart. So imagine then it's five, now it's six, pushing seven. Oh, no, it's like a long, yeah. long time. Yeah. So, <laughs> long time. so this was a book that I read in 2003 written by Laurie Fox. That makes sense now. Right, so, yes. So it's an adaptation. So I didn't really come up with the idea. I just read this book in 2003. And back in 2003, I had no ambition to direct any movies at all. Uh, but I did think, oh, this would make a beautiful movie. And then, you know, that was that. Um, you know, I, I, I loved the book. I, I gave the book to a few of my girlfriends as a gift. It was a book that I really cherished. But that was that. Then um, I already told you how I came to do my first feature with my co-writer, Sarah, and it was really her idea. And then we came to, you know, we, we came up with the story together, but she was the one that was like, we should write something. We should write something together. And the short, I actually did the short film after Emoticon because as I said, I really just wanted to do it again as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I'm just going to make a short. I've got to do it right now. Like, I really want to try it again. Like, this is cool. <laughs> and why not do it on a smaller scale of something that you can do in a much smaller bundle and get it out there, get it as a much more of a a director's reel for you as well you know it's as more stuff right yeah you know i just wanted to try things that i didn't really you know when i did the first one i could i I didn't know what I was doing, really. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it was very simple. You know, we were just like, let the character-based piece or let the, the, the script, you know, shoot the script. Mm, have the actors yes. and shoot the script. Why with the short, you know, with short films, you can do whatever, right? So I wanted to try something different. Anyway, that said, um, so then after Emoticon got released, pretty much nothing happened for me. <laughs> that is interesting because a lot of people say that, oh, wait till my film's released and then. And a lot of the time that's just not the case. No one's banging down the door. Regard, you know, you've got to have a BAFTA winning, you know, for anyone to come near you because <laughs> they've got their own stuff going on. Like we said before, these producers, why are they going to come on your boat? They're already, you've got to have a massive, massive hit. So yes, it is a huge lesson for filmmakers out there. Don't expect anyone to come calling regardless of where your film is at. Just keep on the journey yourself. Just keep on, you know, generating. That's when I realized, oh, mm. I'm just going to have to continue with what I'm doing. I just have to continue to generate my own material there is like there isn't anything happening here like what am i waiting for how was that writing process to turn it into the brilliant script that you wrote how was that how <laughs> difficult was that um it was difficult so um the script so i optioned the book in 2014 we're now in 2022 mm -hmm. right or maybe 2015 no i think we're in 2022 yeah yeah so seven <laughs> years ago i optioned the script just to give you right. like you know a sense now 
I wasn't, you know, I had to, uh, I didn't have like a full-time job, but I did have to work. So I had a number of odd jobs, including the last job I had was as a real estate agent in New okay. York doing wow. rentals. <laughs> <laughs> so I was working, I was doing my own schedule. So I was taking some time off because I am not the type of writer that can write every day, two hours a day. I mean, I just, so I would take like three weeks off and just write. And then like, let it be for a while and then take like a month off and just write and get some notes by whoever wants to give you notes. You have to beg to get notes. Yes, please, please, (laughs) can you spare some time? And it's usually a long time because if they're going to give notes, they've got to write it up. You know, it's three, four hours of someone's time. It's hard to find that time, obviously, isn't Mm. it? But sometimes it's worth it. You know, you've you've got great scripts. So if somebody gives you the time, it it actually might be worth their while. And and people, producers and, and other writers and directors should remember that. It's so true. Yeah. Um, I have to say that uh, so at some point I got a script that got me Ellen Burstyn. She was the first name attached to the film and I got her attached because the again the the her agent in New York had worked on my first feature because he's also very connected with the theater world. It was my the theater world, the theater community was a bit of like my entry point. And so she got that script and she agreed to attach a name to it. That's great. Suddenly now you've got a name attached. So I'm like, I got this script and I got a name attached. And then with that, eventually it took a longer time, but I also had like personal, like I had my mom that got sick and then she passed away. So like in the middle of all of this, and even then, <laughs> even yeah. I mean, I'm laughing about it. It's like even through that process of like looking after my mom, I just couldn't like go on the film. So I would be like on the phone trying to cast it like, through, I mean, you have to be a bit of obsessed with the project in order to get it done, in my experience. So you've got Ellen, you've now spoken to, how did you get that big bit of finance? Was it, was it Emma Thompson that pushed that through? And how did you get Emma Thompson, if so? Yeah, so, so eventually with Ellen Burstyn and the script that I had sent to Ellen Burstyn, I went to Ingenious. I ended up through a friend of a friend, I was introduced and I came, I wasn't even living in London. I came to London and I had this meeting and um, where I basically just gave a very short pitch and uh, I got a great response. And I think besides the, I think I was also like, I came in to that office at a very specific time where there was a shift in the leadership and there was a new person that wanted to do more female project. It was 2018. So the, the, there was a, it was hot to like have female story. It was becoming more, there was more awareness of mm-hmm. that. I was like, oh, a girl walked into my office, wants to make a movie about women. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I Go, mean, yeah. you know, yeah. not, but, you know, and so then um, I was asked to do a rewrite. I sent the script and I'm like, well, yeah, but the script needs work. And I said, I'm very happy to do the work, but I would love some very detailed notes. <laughs> mm, yeah, sure. Help me. Because otherwise you're just rewriting what you've written. You're like, well, I, th- I think this is me. Give me some proper notes and I can really run with it. Like, can I get coverage? That's what I asked for. Basically, I said, I'm very happy to write. Like, I'm, I'm very happy to write for as long as it takes. But can I get coverage, please? And so I got coverage 
more than once, like not one time. And then again, and then again. So it was really kind of like a bit of a development process. And then I started to try casting, which was uh, not easy at all. But on your own, you mean you were sending yeah, it out? Yeah, yeah, I was sending it out. I was calling agents. I was calling people. I'm like, you know, contingent to casting, contingent to casting, I can get the money. And, and Alan Burstyn is attached. But, you know, <laughs> you know, some people do respond and some people just don't. You know. Yeah, it's really tricky for us in that stage because they say only go to one actor at a time, you know, with your names and you really should. But then the problem is we've got is you, you send it to the agent and they go, yeah, OK, we'll have a look at this. But you don't know if they're reading it. They've forgotten about it. It's the bottom of the pile. Yeah, and it's yeah. really difficult for us indie filmmakers to go. And you've got to do that little knock after three weeks. Hey, have you managed to look at it? Try and be back on top of their pile. But they'll go, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. And then you're stuck in limbo. It's really difficult. It is very difficult. And when I did the last curse, I did it, you know, methodically one at a time. And also, like, what role can I get? Mm. What role can I, you know, attach some, you know, because they're, so the role of Hook or the role of Jane, it's an ensemble piece of smaller roles. And so I'm thinking, okay, two days of work, like somebody will do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're offering a reasonable amount of money. And you got your budget by then, as in you knew how much you think you wanted to spend on it, right? Yes, I did have a budget, which was higher than what we ended up doing it for, obviously. But I did have a budget. I got a budget done. I hired a line producer and I got a budget done. Like Again, certain things you just have to, to do right mm -hmm. yeah uh, and i always feel that that first money for that first budget is wasted <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean because then you change but at least you've got a structure at least by that point you have to have it something to work for but i agree yes no one takes it seriously if you don't have a budget but i'm like this mm -hmm. budget it's just whatever really mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, it's not without, you know, but, but it's not really that that's going to resemble the final budget at all. But anyway, yes, at some point I had a budget, which is higher. And then I was able to get um, Emma because I originally cast Gaia, her daughter. Oh, wow. Okay. That makes sense. And yes. then... Clever. And then, yeah, well, clever. It was... It was what it was, but in the end, it didn't work out, right? But it worked out in the sense that the movie... Got greenlit. I mean, this is what the biggest thing that every filmmaker out there is trying to do right now is greenlit their next movie or their first movie. And if you get Emma Thompson, however you get them, that's going to green light your movie. So, it, brilliant. And the fact that then your team at Myriad hung on is incredible. What? How did it go with Emma? Because I suppose that's what's interesting for us. How did you pitch it? Because this is Emma Thompson. She's a, one of the biggest, you know, film stars in the world. Everyone knows who she is. How did you approach that? Were you nervous talking to her? How did you go through it? So basically, I approached Gaia first and and I love Gaia and in the end it didn't work out that she could do that part either the part that I had offered to her and I offered her another part and she uh, didn't want it to do the other part so that was that but I did offer her another part because then in the end we changed we changed the structure of the family right and so that was that so I asked her if she wanted to play Jane mm -mm. young Jane young which Jane. would have been like uh, Julie Richardson as a young girl so that mm -hmm. could have worked just fine, but I guess she didn't want to do it. So that was that. I feel, I still feel like, oh, <laughs> I'm still not completely resolved with that whole thing. But uh, so I approached Gaia and we talked about it. And then at some point I asked Gaia, I asked, how do you feel about having your mother playing Jane? And Gaia is very clever. 
I was just like, it would be great for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're thinking, yes, it would. <laughs> I mean, she's clearly like, she's been in the industry long enough. Glad you suggested it. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, we should open up a production company. <laughs> she's really clever. The girl is really, really clever. So, so I think then what happened was like, Emma read the script and then I met with her. We had tea and I was totally starstruck. I don't get starstruck ever, but with Emma Thompson yeah, like you had tea. did you go around to her house in, <laughs> yes I did yeah, in west London shall we say yes, yes I did I did and I was sweating I was sweating so much and I was like I was like I'm sorry I don't know why I'm so hot and she was very sweet she was like oh, I must need a tea why don't you put it down for a minute <laughs> If yes, yes, give me some ice cubes and water. Can we go outside? Can we? <laughs> I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Wow. <laughs> yeah. But you got through it and you persuaded her with your brilliance and your yes. charismatic self, I imagine. But then everything, everything kind of fell apart because there was COVID. And it, it just, you know, and also I think it is very, very tricky to go to A-listers without the, without going through the agent. Yes. That is yeah, like, I think, I don't know, because in the end, I don't really know, like, if it was COVID, if it was like, there's only so much you can do when, when the actor says, look, my schedule has changed. I'm so sorry. I have too many problems right now. I can't do this. You can't. But by that point, like you say, you'd got the money and then you had a, like, the team to go, don't worry, we can still make this movie. That's yeah. incredible. In the end, you know, in the end, I actually thanked because with her support, we got the movie made really. Yeah, you did. So that yeah. was, that was major. Like anybody that says, yes, I'm going to do your movie when there is still no money, mm -hmm. you know, yep. it's, it, it, it's and anybody that doesn't need to do so. It's a hero. It's a superhero. It is a superhero. So you, the cast you ended up with is incredible. Jolly Richardson, Vanessa Redgrave, Ian Glenn, Julian Ovendon, who I know from years back in UK, Ella Ray Smith as well. I directed her in The Heartless re recently, which oh, is The wow. Liberty drama and she's so great she's wonderful and she's wonderful in your movie as well she's such a wonderful <laughs> up and coming actress she's wonderful i love ella yeah and then there's louis partridge who became yeah a louis partridge's <laughs> peter pan you know i mean the list goes on with your cast you've got so many amazing and obviously yourself as wendy you know delivering <laughs> a brilliant performance it's, it's really thank lovely you, thank you. it's a really lovely it's it is a wonderful film i think you've done incredibly you. well so this is the perfect time to drop the trailer for the lost girls which chronicles four generations of darling women as they struggle in the aftermath of their adventures with Peter Pan in Neverland. Listen, darling. When you turn 12 or 13, you will meet a boy. This boy will take you for a ride in the sky. The boy's name is Peter. Wendy, you must promise me that you will never grow up like the others. I'm Adam. The love of a boy won't be enough for you. You promised me, Wendy. No one is ever really present in this family. The fantasy take people away. Peter. I grew up long ago. Why do you keep coming back to us? So fabulous to see you again. Like mother, like daughter. 
Did my mom disappear with this boy? There's a bit of pan and hook and hook and pan. Neverland gives us the gift of true freedom. directing this thing because you're now directing stars how talk us through your directing process did you do storyboards did you plan your shots with your dp wish i wish i would love to storyboard a bit now um we did like some some sequences like very roughly storyboarded with the dp but just like with an app like not not a real storyboard really so yes yeah, so there is a process of shot listing with the DP that, you know, again, when you're working with locations that you're getting, I mean, one thing that I learned, I think I would like to have more prep time in my next yes. feature. I yes. think prep time can be stretched quite a, quite a bit. Um, the more time you have, the better prepared you are in terms of directing the actors. I guess it's, um, I think a lot is in the casting. Yes. So when you're happy with the people that you, you're ca- you cast, then you have to let them do their thing. And I'm an actress myself. So, you know, and also I think that actors, different actors need different things. And so I think it's, um, uh, it's kind of like a skill the director to figure out what the actor needs. It definitely is. Some actors need more attention. Mm -hmm. Some actors need less attention. And it's not just about the time in which they're performing. It's really like some actors really need to be complimented. Like Mm -hmm. the next day, or they need a text message the evening to tell them how great they are. Like, you know, I mean, it's just, um, and some actors need like to just let them do their thing like they don't want to they want to focus and they want to do their own thing and they want to be concentrated and and some actors you can give very quick adjustments and some actors you have to take them to the side and be like well let's talk about this so, <laughs> so yeah it's a matter of uh casting and then working with the individuals mm. you seem like you love that as well you seem like you love that challenge and love talking to i don't know i feel like you really enjoy going okay well you almost from that first day of working out who likes what and then going right let me jump straight into this yes i think working with actors is my favorite aspect of directing this has been a a real joy thank you so much so fun let's go out (laughs) exactly right absolutely the lost girls is out where can people see it whereabouts is it going to be in a number of cinemas that i cannot tell you which which one they are because i don't have to stick it out i don't even know and then it's on a number of platforms that I'm, I'm really sorry that I don't have more specific information. Don't worry. I will put all that in the show notes for people. Go find it. Go seek it out. It's a really beautiful, beautifully well-made film. Thank you should you be so, so proud. You, you, honestly, you so it's much. really great oh. for your sophomore feature. <laughs> you know, in terms of getting it done properly, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It really is. So well done. So I'm just going to do a little plug here. Bear with me a second, girls. For the wrap-up. Now, this is our weekly newsletter you can sign up it is free and you get that straight to your inbox and we curate the week's 
filmmaking news and we put it in a newsletter for you. It is called The Wrap Up. It is free and we're doing it just because we want to spread the love and find it easier to find all those news articles. Uh, and we create it for indie filmmakers and also give the latest news. So that is called The Wrap Up. Link to sign up to that is in the show notes. Like I say, it's free. You have nothing to lose. Do sign up for that. Remember, ask us questions and we will answer them on the podcast for you. Your filmmaking questions, get them into us at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter, uh, at the Filmmakers Podcast on Instagram. Get in touch, get involved, say hello if nothing else. And remember, next week we have on the fantastic director Natalie Biancari to talk about her feature film. Wolf. Olivia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks to you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Lucinda, thank you for joining us as well. Thank I know you. you're busy. Thank you for having me. Absolute <laughs> pleasure. Remember, you can go out there and make your film. You can do it. Find the right collaborators, find the right people, adapt that screenplay if that's what you need to do, as Olivia has done. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday. As always, thank you so much for listening. You're all superstars. Take care, everyone. See you later. Bye-bye.